It's only water. Well, good morning. Great to see you today. Let me invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10 in your copy of God's Word. Anyway, you can turn on the screen in the back there. All right, let's read our passage uh, this morning. Uh, Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. Please follow along with me. Hear the word of the Lord. And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is God's uh, authoritative word in errant. Uh, may he bless what we have just read. And let's uh, pause and ask for his help as we look into these verses this morning. Father, once again, we come uh, before you needy and hungry. Uh, we have eyes, of course, but we don't have eyes to see unless your spirit quickens them. So that's what we are asking for this morning. We have ears, of course, and most of us can hear well, but we don't have ears to hear truth unless your spirit works and unclogs our hearing to hear hear your word. Uh, Father, strengthen my mouth, my voice, my heart and mind as I proclaim your truth. Help me to uh, preach it clearly. And Father, we entrust our time to you and pray for the gracious work of your spirit among us that he would uh, quicken, convict, encourage, and transform us with the living word. Uh, Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. This is G. Campbell Morgan, uh, a man you probably don't recognize. Perhaps a handful of you have heard of this man. Uh, he was a British pastor from the last century. As a young man, he was one of 150 who sought entrance into the Wesleyan ministry. Uh, this was in 1888. Uh, there were two parts uh, to this entrance exam for uh, Morgan. He he passed his doctrinal examinations with flying colors, but still ahead was his trial sermon. His trial sermon took place in a cavernous auditorium that could seat over a thousand people. And as uh, Morgan uh, uh, entered the pulpit on that day, there were three uh, professors who would evaluate him and a handful, perhaps 75 others, that came to listen. Well, he got behind the pulpit in this vast room and, and the critical eyes of those listening to him uh, got the best of him. Uh, he did poorly. And two weeks later, his name appeared among the 105 rejected for the ministry that year. 
His daughter-in-law, Jill Morgan, uh, was the author of his biography, and she writes in her biography about this occasion, uh, after this he wired to his father the one word, rejected. And then he sat down and penned these words in his diary. Everything seems very dark. Still, the Lord knows best. A reply, a reply telegram quickly came from his father with these words. Rejected on earth, accepted in heaven, dad. He went on to become one of the leading Bible teachers of his era. Uh, and though you don't recognize him, he pastored Westminster Chapel in London for uh, a total of 25 years and even uh, taught in America at times at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, as well as the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. But these words that his father sent back to him, rejected on earth, accepted in heaven, are what we see operating in our text this morning. Uh, those most likely to be rejected on earth are the very ones accepted by Christ. Those rejected by men are the very ones accepted by Christ and welcomed into the kingdom of God. So our question that we want to answer this morning is, is what kind of person can enter Christ's kingdom? Who will be welcomed into the kingdom of God uh, to spend eternity with Christ? And we'll discover the answer as we observe three events that take place. I realize it's only four verses, but there are three events that take place in this short span. And looking at these, we'll discover uh, what kind of person uh, can enter Christ's kingdom. So the first event that we encounter is the children excluded. Uh, children brought to Jesus by their parents were turned away. They were, they were denied access to Jesus by his disciples. Uh, and let me point out uh, the two groups involved in this uh, first event. Uh, the first is, of course, the children, those brought to Jesus by their parents. There are three details of, uh, about these children I want to uh, mentioned to you. First is that they were young children, very young children. Uh, verse 13 says, and they were bringing children to him. The word children is a relatively broad term. It can refer to babies. It can refer to young boys and girls. But Luke helps us narrow this down. In Luke's account of this event, he uses a different word. He uses the word brephos, which refers to babies. And so these are are very small infants that these parents are bringing, uh, small enough that he could take them in his arms, which is what he does in 16, and, and he took them in his arms and blessed them. Uh, they are quite young. The second detail we see about these children is that they're brought by their parents, of course. Uh, in, in fact, verse 13 says uh, that these parents were bringing children. Uh, their children, uh, th they were bringing their children, or you could say they kept bringing 
their children. The, the verb tense indicates continuous action in the past. One of my commentaries on Mark previously referred to the 12 disciples as dunderheads. <laughs> Today, we find the disciples again acting like dunderheads. They were blocking the parents' access to Jesus. But these parents kept on trying, kept bringing their children. They, they made repeated attempts to bring their children to Jesus. They were concerned about the spiritual welfare of their children to the point that they were not going to let the disciples stand in the way. This is an excellent example for you and, for you and me. Uh, you and I that are parents or perhaps about to be parents. Uh, first, to be concerned about the spiritual condition of our children, to, to be concerned about their salvation to begin with. Uh, and then to be concerned that they go on to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, that their profession of faith is not merely in word only, but that they continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus. I mean, Mom and Dad, we have other goals for our children. We have educational goals. We know what kind of grades we want our children to get. We might have an idea of what college we want them to go to. Um, my mom was convinced that I should learn how to play the piano. And uh, boy, I took piano lessons through my junior year in high school, and I still don't play the piano to this day. Think of all that money down the drain. Uh, we have goals like that. Mom and Dad, do you have spiritual goals for your children? Do you have an idea of, uh, I mean, we have hopes and dreams for our children. Uh, do you pray about those things? Do you lift them up before the Lord? Do you pray for your children? The second thing these, these parents teach us is to be diligent in our concern. Uh, not to the point of nagging them, of course, but continuing to ask about this, their spiritual health, to, uh, to pray for their growth continually and their well-being. I understand that there's a fine line between nagging your children and being diligent, especially as they become young adults, and I'm still learning how to walk that fine line. I'm positive I've crossed it more than once. But there should be an ongoing concern uh, for their spiritual well-being. How can I pray for you? Uh, what's going on that I can pray about? And like these diligent parents, you and I are called to keep bringing our children to Jesus. Well, the second thing we see about this group of children, they're brought by their parents. And the reason they're brought is to be blessed by the Lord. As verse 13 goes on to tell us, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the purpose of this touch was to be blessed, to receive a blessing, which again we see in verse 16, and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Uh, there's evidence in the uh, New Testament world that Jewish children were brought to their rabbi on the Day of Atonement, uh, that the rabbi might bless them. Uh, 
And Jesus falls into this category. He is not just a popular figure in this region. He was also a powerful teacher and healer and frequently addressed as rabbi or teacher. And what faithful parent wouldn't want their children to be prayed for and blessed by this teacher who spoke with the authority of God and healed with the power of God? Uh, naturally, they are drawn to Christ that he would bless their children. This is a third detail about we see about this first group. There's, of course, another group involved here that we've already seen, uh, and that is the disciples. And in this first event, we see the disciples doing two things. The first thing they're doing is rebuking. Uh, they are rebuking or reproving the parents. And we see this uh, in the middle of verse 13, towards the end, actually. Uh, they were bringing their children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. That word rebuked, this is not the first time we've seen the word rebuked in the Gospel of Mark. We've seen it several times. Uh, one of the first times we saw this word was way back in chapter 1. Uh, Jesus and the disciples go to the synagogue and encounter a man with an unclean spirit. It says there, but Jesus rebuked him, the man with the un unclean spirit, or, or the spirit himself, saying, be silent and come out of him. This commanding, authoritative tone of voice is consistently how Jesus addressed the demons in the Gospel of Mark. He rebuked them. Uh, we see this word pop up again at least one other time uh, in chapter 8, where Jesus, for the first time, reveals the details of his upcoming death and resurrection to the disciples. This is when Peter pulled Jesus aside, you recall, and where Peter rebuked Jesus. And following that, we see this from Jesus, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, note his tone of voice, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so this idea of rebuke uh, means to confront someone in a sharp tone of voice. But the disciples aren't addressing demons here. They're using this sharp, confronting, and commanding tone with, with parents of young children, parents who are attempting to have their children blessed by Jesus. They have clearly forgotten the lesson of the last chapter, chapter 9, where Jesus had told them, whoever receives one such child in my name rece receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. These 12 are acting like someone in the world would act. They're not serving these parents or welcoming these children or receiving them as Jesus had commanded. They were acting with overbearing power and authority. Apparently they had not heard the song, Jesus, Strong and Kind, that we just sang. 
Well, not only are they involved in this rebuking, it says also that they were hindering. They're blocking the parents' access to Jesus. And it's mentioned. this is mentioned in verse 14, where Jesus says, let the children come to me, do not hinder them. Uh, of course, it means to prevent or forbid someone from engaging in some activity, to stop someone from doing something. This is a replay of, again, chapter 9, verse 38, where uh, it says, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him or hinder him. It's the same word as here, because he was not following us. It seems that they still believe that access to Jesus was their personal privilege and something they could control, and they were not about to grant access to a group of insignificant children. Children were not viewed romantically as we do in our era in America. Nobody was cooing and ooing over uh, children uh, back then. They were regarded as less than the least um, Female children were often uh, unwanted and left out, exposed to die, while sons were, of course, cherished and kept. So there's a different mentality toward children in this era. The disciples didn't want to grant access to these insignificant children. Jesus was here for serious needs, like those who needed to be healed and freed from an unclean spirit and not for merely blessing children. Surely not. And so one scholar sums up their behavior like this. The disciples act like bad-tempered bouncers. They rebuke these parents and try to block their children's access to Jesus. Again, they want to throw their weight around and exercise control by keeping at bay others who come from outside their circles. So the second group we see is the disciples in behaving rather badly. Once again, acting like uh, dunderheads, first by rebuking these parents and Second, by preventing them from bringing their children uh, to Jesus. So, this is the first event, and here we see the children excluded. Um, children brought to Jesus by their parents are turned away and denied access to, to, to Jesus by his disciples. Well, there's another event, fortunately, that this brings us to and next we see the children included these children excluded by the disciples are are included by Jesus warmly included by him let me point out three things about this event to you uh, the first thing we discover is that the disciples are disapproved, I suppose I should say disapproved of. Uh, the disciples disapprove. He sternly speaks to them and disapproves of their actions. Look at verse 14 now. 
But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Indignant means to be offended by something or someone, to be incensed, to be irate, to be angry. And it's fairly obvious, but we want to ask why he becomes so angry. Well, it's partly because they had failed to learn the lesson he had just so recently taught them in Capernaum. Just back a page in chapter 9. In fact, the disciples were doing the very thing that Jesus had told them not to do. In the chapter right before this, uh, just up the page a little, in chapter 9, verse 36, it says, And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, the twelve, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. They were not to exclude children. They were told to include children and those like children, those who were weak and, and insignificant. But apparently this has gone over their head. They still have visions of glory and seem to be taken with the idea of their own importance, still strutting their stuff because of their exclusive position as Jesus' disciples. But he, he had told them if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And so because the 12 were so slow to learn this lesson, because Jesus hated this kind of arrogance, he became incensed, he became angry, irate that his disciples were actually blocking the way for these children and preventing him from ministering to them, to preventing him from showing the kindness to them that he wanted to show. This earns his stern disapproval. And so first we see the disciples disapproved of. Christ is furious that his men are excluding these little ones. But then the second thing in this event that I want you to notice is that childlikeness is approved. Being childlike was not a quality to be frowned upon and excluded as they thought. Childlikeness was the very thing Jesus was looking for. In the middle of verse 14, notice when it's, what it says, and said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, I really would ask that you take note of the, the phrasing, the wording of this part of verse 14. In particular, the phrase, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a demonstrative pronoun, and it means to such a kind as this. It could be translated, of this kind belongs the kingdom of God. To those like this child belongs the kingdom of God. 
The, the kingdom of God belongs to those who are childlike. But what part of chi uh, children was Jesus referring to? Uh, what part of childhood is, is worth imitating? And you know as well as I do that there are many parts of uh, childhood that are not worth imitating. I mean, acting childish is not a compliment in uh, our vocabulary. Some have suggested Jesus was referring to the humility of a child or the simple trust that we often see children display, very trusting of adults. And that might sound great. That's probably not what Jesus meant by to such a kind as this. He probably was not referring to characteristics of childhood. The key thing, really the main thing about children is that they could offer absolutely nothing. They could not contribute to their family's needs. They brought nothing to the table, as it were. They were completely helpless and insignificant. This is probably what he has in mind by using the words to such a kind as this to those who are insignificant by the world's standards, to those known for their littleness in the world's eyes, to those who have absolutely nothing to commend an audience with Jesus, to such a kind as this, to those who are little, to those who are nothing, belongs the kingdom of God. Listen to this man explain it. The pronouncement to such belongs the kingdom of God, is not only or even mainly about children, but about those who share the child's status. It is to such people, the insignificant ones who are important to Jesus, that God's kingdom belongs. It's worth noting that this childlikeness stands in sharp contrast to the disciples at this point. They were acting like bullies, trying to assert power and influence. They're the ones who needed to become childlike. So second, we, we find here that childlikeness is approved of by Christ. It's the very thing he's looking for. Those who are insignificant and little in the world's eyes, these are the very ones Jesus is interested in. But Jesus takes this childlikeness a step further. Childlikeness is not only approved by Jesus, childlikeness is required by him as well. We see this in verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You'll note the way that verse 15 begins, truly I say to you, there are 14 verses uh, or statements that begin like this in the book of Mark. 
and each of them introduces a solemn or important statement. And here in this case, truly I say to you, introduces a warning about who can enter the kingdom of God. And, and notice how the kingdom of God is entered. It says it must be received. Truly I say to you, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> whoever uh, does not receive the kingdom of God like a child. Um, this term receive means to accept or to approve of something. Receive describes our attitude toward God's kingdom, our attitude towards the demands of Christ, our King. Receive means accepting his reign over us. Receive means becoming a willing subject of the king's rule. Receive has the idea of surrendering to his authority. I believe this refers to the beginning of our salvation. When we put our faith in the atoning death of Christ and surrender our lives to him, when we trust him as our Savior and Lord, then note he goes on to say we must receive, welcome this kingdom like a child. We must put our faith in Christ knowing that we have nothing to bring, nothing to commend us. We trust in Jesus as our Savior knowing that we have nothing to contribute to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. This is expressed in the song Rock of Ages. Now you'll probably recognize Rock of Ages by the first verse. We sing it here uh, occasionally. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. There's a third verse that we're very much less familiar with, and it goes like this. Uh, Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, Come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. The songwriter knew he had absolutely nothing to contribute to his salvation. He had no importance or distinction that put him in favor with God, absolutely helpless before the throne of God, And this is how you and I must come to Christ, like a child, with nothing in our hands, with nothing to offer, uh, with nothing to bring to the table. Those who approach Christ with this childlike attitude, he gladly accepts. But those who approach him without this childlike attitude, they will not be accepted by him. They will not gain entrance to the kingdom of God, as verse 15 indicates. It says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. By these words, enter it. Jesus is probably referring to the final form of his kingdom, 
uh, that it will take when he returns. Those who do not receive the kingdom like a child here, now, will not enter his kingdom when he returns. They will not enter heaven. They will not spend eternity with Christ. So, childlikeness then, it's not merely approved by Christ. It's required by him. First to become a Christian and then to enter eternity with him. I want you to hear how one Puritan pastor described this uh, several hundred years ago. Listen to him express this very idea. When we come to God, we must bring nothing but Christ with us. Any ingredients or any previous qualifications of our own will poison and corrupt faith. He that builds upon duties, graces, etc., knows not the merits of Christ. You must every day denounce as dung and dross your privileges, your obedience, your baptism, your sanctification, your duties, your graces, your tears, your meltings, your humblings, your workings, your self-sufficiency must all be destroyed. You must take all from God's hand. Christ is the gift of God. Ah, how nature storms, frets, rages against this, that all is a gift And it can purchase nothing with its actings and tears and duties that all workings are excluded and of no value in heaven. Wow. I I read this because there are so many in America, I think, who are convinced they're going to be in heaven. And how often do we hear the phrase, well, I've tried to live a good life. Do you know if you'll go to heaven after you pass away? Well, I've tried to live a good life. These are the very words of uh, my, my next door neighbor who lived across the street from us. She was dying of ovarian cancer in her living room. And Christy and I had the chance to share the gospel with her. I, I asked her if she, she, what she was basing her eternity on and she said I've always tried to do the right thing look friends that's not enough the right things will not put you in God's graces your church attendance will not make you more acceptable to him being baptized even as a kid Friends, that is a profession of faith, not anything that contributes to your faith. We can bring nothing to Christ uh, except empty hands. So we see the second event. Uh, We see that the disciples are disapproved of. We see that childlikeness is actually approved by Jesus. It's what he's looking for. And not only does he approve of childlikeness, the, the nothingness, the uh, lack of anything, 
He not only approves, he requires it to enter his kingdom at the end. One more event, very briefly. Um, Let's see, where am I? Oh, I'm way ahead. Where did I go? Yeah, well, here I am. The children are embraced. Uh, Finally, we see the parents able to receive what they've they've come for. Children are embraced and blessed. Again, verse 16, note what it says. And he took them in his arms and blessed them. You see the kindness of our Savior there? Taking each one of these uh, perhaps babies, infants, some perhaps just newborns, into his arms and, and, and blesses them. Uh, verse 16, thank you. Laying his hands on them. He, it says he embraces them first. This is what's meant by he took them in his arms. It means to gather them up in his arms uh, for an embrace. And that he could do this points to the fact that they were quite young. And as Luke mentions, babies. And then he blesses the children, laying his hands on them. Uh, to bless someone meant asking God to show his favor to someone. Blessing someone meant asking the Lord to act kindly or favorably towards someone. So Jesus is praying for each of these young children, asking his Father to be gracious to them. And further, the word blessed is a compound verb. Uh, On this occasion, uh, Mark has tried to emphasize and add intensity uh, to this word blessed. And in the Greek language, the way to do that is to add a preposition at the front of the word. And so Mark is telling us that this was not merely a routine baby dedication, Mark is telling us that he blessed them fervently. He asked his father to be gracious on these gracious to these little ones, and he made this request with some urgency. Jesus cared deeply about these little ones, about these insignificant and helpless ones, uh, because the kingdom of God belonged to people like this. So the third event we find is that the children are embraced. So um, uh, you'll have to forgive me. I don't know where what happened to my, uh, I think I'm in the right place. So we were asking at the beginning, what kind of person can enter Christ's kingdom? Who will be welcomed into the kingdom of God to spend eternity with Christ. And we've, through the three events of our passage where we've seen uh, the children excluded by the disciples, and we've seen the children then included by Christ and finally embraced by Christ, uh, the kind of person who can enter Christ's kingdom are those who know that they contribute nothing to their salvation. They contribute nothing to their salvation. And the words of the songwriter must become our words if we want to receive Christ's kingdom. Uh, Nothing in my hand I bring. 
simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. These must become our words. Mom and Dad, these must become your children's words. That they cannot work their way or be good enough, but that they must also come with empty hands. It's what we read moments ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul wrote to the church there, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. In other words, people the world would like to reject. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I want to ask you this morning, if these have ever become your words, if you have ever come to Christ empty-handed, uh, put your faith in his atoning death on the cross, if you have ever trusted him as your Savior and Lord, coming with empty hands is the only way you can come. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, Titus 3.5. And perhaps you have made this your creed. Perhaps you have come. Then the application for you today is remember how you came. Remember how you came, that you were nothing before him. And give him praise that he would welcome uh, such an unrighteous one as me and you into his kingdom. Give praise. Give thanks. And a third application to those you hear in the world, and you will hear them, I've tried to do the best I can. Friend, graciously, kindly point out to them, that just won't cut it. You can't come with anything and expect to be approved by Christ. Come with empty hands. So if you're not sure this is your creed, please talk to one of the elders following the service uh, this morning. And you that have made this your creed, give praise to God and tell those around you. Christ Jesus, thank you that you welcome into your kingdom those who are nothing, which describes every single person in the room. Despite the high and lofty view we have of ourselves, 
the grand opinion we hold of our own uh, qualities and characteristics, Lord, remind us that we can bring nothing in our hand. And this is exactly how you want us to come as a child, to come with nothing. Father, I pray for anyone here who has not come to you like this, but is relying on some kind of church membership or some kind of baptism, Lord, that you would bring them to see that none of that will make them righteous in your sight, only trusting in the death of Jesus and his payment for sin on the cross. And Father, let us be faithful to share this with those around us, share this not as the disciples did, in loving terms, Heavenly Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.